Are you ready? Going to be. 
Uh, I think the outcome's pretty obvious, but the spectacle, the build-up, the trash talks, it, it's going to be second to none. And for that, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Let, let, let's get it all, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah, this is um, – we've talked about it many times. I interviewed Hall of Fame boxing analyst Al Bernstein yesterday. He'll – we'll have that interview where him and I talk about that fight and the possibility. And now we know that it's going to be Showtime pay-per-view. So our good buddy Al Bernstein's going to be able to call this fight. Hell yeah. Greg, I don't think people realize how, how – that this literally just happened. We went on the air at 6 p.m. sharp – this was breaking news at 5.51. We had it on the Twitter page, one of the first people in America to have it at 5.52, breaking news. And, I mean, it's literally the details are unfolding as we speak. But this is what I've been able to gather so far before we went to air. The fight will take place at 147 pounds. It will be boxing gloves. I believe they will be wearing eight-ounce gloves, which Mayweather – as we know, normally wears 8 to 10, where McGregor wears 4 in the UFC. So I've been preaching this for about a year now, that Conor McGregor is not going to be able to carry his power in 4-ounce gloves up to 8-ounce gloves in a boxing match where the opponent is the greatest defensive fighter of all time, arguably one of the top 10 that's ever lived, undefeated, never been knocked down, and, oh yeah, he doesn't have to worry about your kicks, your submissions, your takedown. It's just boxing, dude. So as my, my co-host alluded to, make it clear now. I'm making it emphatically clear. The odds are 7-1 to one right now. Floyd Mayweather 100% is going to win this fight. I, I, I can't argue that, I, and that's the – that's the one difficult part about this whole thing is that the outcome seems so inevitable. However, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, all right? <laughs> Don't think for one second I'm going to put a dime on Conor McGregor at this point. But Conor McGregor, has, he has been focused. Since he won the lightweight championship back in November, he has been focused on this boxing match. He has worked nothing but boxing since November. He was already a, a, a pretty good, if not great, MMA boxer. Now, of course, boxing, MMA, boxing, boxing is two different, uh, totally disciplines. He's going to have time to build that. He's had time to build that strength up. He's strong as an ox at 155. Uh, you, he'll break. He'll cut down to 147. Who knows what he's going to uh, weigh in or walk in at uh, that night. I, he's the power. There'll be some power lost, but the question is how much. And it only takes one shot. We know that Floyd Mayweather has always had a tough chin. He's been rocked really one good time in his career. That was of course Shane Mosley. He hasn't fought in how many? Twenty six months, something like that. It will be. It will be twenty three months on fight. Twenty three months. So, I, that two two years virtually is a long time for a fighter to go without getting punched to the degree that Mayweather is going to, or I'm sorry, to, to the degree that McGregor is going to try to punch him. How's the chin? Where is he at? Yes, he's a great defensive fighter, but it only takes one shot. Again, <laughs> make no bones about it. 
Floyd Mayweather should and will win this fight. I'm just trying to give an opposing opinion just to give everybody something to think about. But, dude, let's be real. <laughs> it's Floyd fucking Mayweather. Money Mayweather. He's not yeah, going to lose mean, this fight. <laughs> just, just, just to comment on I, – I, first of all, I love the devil's advocate. I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, Bra- Bragg's firing back at me here. Um, Floyd Mayweather took 22 months off, and he took 26 months off between when and then fought Juan Manuel Marquez and then Manny Pacquiao. Um, this is a guy who walks around at his fighting weight. He's always in shape. He's still training. He's been training this whole two years. This is a this is a cash grab. Make no mistake about it. It's the biggest. It's the biggest fight for money and the least amount of risk for actual combat. I do. I mean, other experts have weighed in, and I mean, Mike Tyson was quoted saying that, and he loves MMA. He's good friends with Dana White, and he even said the spectacle is going to be great. He goes, it, it's over. The, Floyd Mayweather barely gets hit. Let me just throw some CompuBox numbers at you. Nine percent, nine punches out of every 100 that are thrown at Floyd Mayweather land. On the other end of the equation, Floyd lands 54 punches for every 100. Unreal. You're going to get hit 45 more times, and that's guys who have been boxing their whole lives and only boxing, and they can't touch him. Conor McGregor got dropped by a top-five middleweight at Freddie Roach's gym back in December with headgear on and eight-ounce gloves. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to straight up say it. Floyd Mayweather knocks Conor McGregor out in this fight. That was the next question I was going to ask you, and I I don't see it ending any differently um, because you got to remember, too, there's going to be a sense of pride here. Do you think Floyd's honestly going to want to go to distance with a a non-boxer? I mean, that's the only way this. The only way this fight goes the distance, and I would be shocked if it happened, but again, this is a, it's a prize fight, and we know that anything can happen. If the only way this goes the distance is if Conor McGregor has a Sugar Shane Mosley moment early in the fight, and Floyd is like, oh man, this dude hits harder than anyone I've ever been hit by, and even then I don't think it will be enough for him to lose but I think then Floyd will start the jab, start the bicycle. I don't think Conor McGregor will be able to to follow and cut Floyd off in the ring like he would in an MMA in an octagon because of his leg kicks and the threat of wrestling and jumping in and stuff like that. I just don't – the only way if, – if Conor hurts Floyd, the fight becomes one-dimensional, boring, and Floyd coast – 12 rounds to zero, but I don't think that's going to, I think Floyd's going to stop this dude somewhere in the middle rounds. You have to remember MMA, they fight Connor's a champion. He's been a champion for a while now. So he's acclimated his body to the five, five minute rounds with one minute in between for a total of a, if he goes the distance in an MMA fight, he's in the octagon for 30 minutes, counting, counting his breaks in a prize fight. You're in there for 45 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry, 48. You better bring a you better bring a lunchbox because 
You're going up against a dude who, even though he's 40, is arguably one of the best conditioned athletes that's ever lived. He's not going to get take, tired. And let's take nothing away uh, from your point here. Conor McGregor is is an athlete. He's a super athlete. Most MMA fighters are. So, I honestly, I, I don't think conditioning is going to be a huge factor. Now, conditioning over 12 rounds, conditioning – during those three rounds of boxing with somebody like Floyd Mayweather, who's going to make you chase him at times. Yeah, that's a completely different story. It'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out and how McGregor reacts to that. Question I'm going to pose to you. If if Floyd Mayweather wins, whether it be knockout or even decision, ho-hum, it was supposed to happen. It happened. Mayweather's 50-0. McGregor moves on to fight in the UFC again. It's over and done with. If the unthinkable happens, if the stars align and McGregor somehow beats Floyd Mayweather, what does that do for the sport of boxing? It cripples it. It, I mean, in a, in a plain and simple, um, we saw James Tony, one of the best light heavyweight, super middleweight, and then even won a heavyweight championship. I mean, this is a dude who beat Evander Holyfield and took his belt. Um, so no Joe Blow. We all know, you know, James likes how Tony, when he oh, got in there with ass. Randy Couture, yeah, when, we, when he got in there with Randy Couture, Captain America, uh, he used a seventh grade elementary single leg takedown because he, he knew how dangerous Tony's hands were. He wasn't going to stand there and trade with that dude. He took him to the ground. The fight was over in a minute about, and every no James, Tony didn't lose anything. In fact, people like applauded him and Randy Couture under no conditions would go into a boxing ring with him even said that. And Dana White had no interest in letting him do that. Flash forward 10 years Conor McGregor, the biggest draw in the UFC, their gem. This is, make no mistake about it. This is their crown jewel, especially now that Ronda Rousey's gone. This is the crown jewel of MMA. Is going into a boxing ring, and they've agreed to it because, again, at the end of the day, Conor McGregor is probably going to make close to $100 million for this fight. Floyd's probably going to get a quarter billion and the UFC is probably going to get $100 million as well. This is going to be a half-a-billion-dollar fight. I don't think it will be as big as Pacquiao Mayweather with the $4.6 million buys because, again, Manny Pacquiao, people thought, had a chance to win that fight. Conor McGregor has no, no chance. So to answer your question, it would cripple boxing. Floyd Mayweather's undefeated record tied with Rocky Marciano. If he wins this, he's 50-0. and 0. We can argue with boxing purists whether this really counts as a 50th win or not. Um, but make no mistake, he's laced him up 50. He won 50. His legacy cement. He loses. Those other 49 fights that he won all get suddenly thrown into disarray. His legacy becomes nothing. And then you start the debate that if MMA fighters challenge boxers in their own weight classes, maybe they'd be able to be the, that they're the real champions. It would literally, it, it would hurt boxing like nothing since Ali having to miss four years because of what he believed in. Um, it would cripple it. But at the end of the day, this is about money. Make no mistake. And I will say this, Brad, you got a PhD shit talker 
in Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, and Floyd, for the first time, isn't going to have to promote the fight by himself. That's why, like he always says, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. This makes sense because, again, it's minimal risk with maximum profit. The only other person that Floyd Mayweather could fight and get even close to the numbers that this thing's going to project or do is a Manny Pacquiao or maybe, maybe a Triple G. I'm getting text messages coming in now, even as we're on the air, from people I respect saying I'm not even interested in this fight. So whether it does the numbers that – Dana White and Mayweather Promotions and Al Heyman think it's going to do remains to be seen, but it is definitely now the biggest event of 2017. And I and I'm going to say I think it will do the numbers for the simple fact that yeah you've got boxing purists, um, you got boxing fans who are disgusted by that who don't want to see the fight, who think it's a foregone conclusion. These guys will talk to them onto the TV screens and into the building. If this is it's going to be like WrestleMania. I mean, it is going to be a spectacle. It's going to be an event. I think you mentioned it on a previous show. They should cut a deal where the UFC should get the uh, put the pay per view, put the press conferences and the way it's on pay per view, uh, and get the revenue from that, and then you know let uh, Mayweather Promotions get the uh, pay per view cut of the fight itself. But it. It's a very interesting dynamic between these two. I think between now and then, the the talk is going to up. I think it's going to get, like I said, the casual viewer. It's going to get uh, August 26th. There's really nothing going on at that point. Yes, you got NFL preseason on, but it's yeah, NFL the dog preseason. Days of summer. The dog yeah. days of summer. Major League Baseball is about to turn to September. Uh, the pennant races will heat up. But kids are about to go back to school. Yeah, it's kids are either going back to school or just about to. Summer vacations are really over at this point. They picked a good time. They're not going to have to compete with Triple G and Canelo in September. They're not going to have to compete with the big. Think about this. There was talk of pushing it back to October, November, December. On a Saturday night in October, November, December. During October, you got a lot of Halloween festivities, a lot of haunted houses going on. Not to mention, October, November, and December, if you look at the calendar for entertainment, there are some big movies opening up this year in the late, in fall and early winter. Uh, you've got, by that time, by August 26th, the summer movie season is over. So there's not going to be a lot of competition on a Saturday night from that. Uh, College kids will be back in – a lot of them will be back in school, so they'll be looking for something to do on a Saturday night. Why not go out, have a few drinks, and watch All right, the fight? Hey, but, 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 Bragg, let me ask you this. How many I'm – not, I'm not disputing that people are going to watch it. What I should say is how many people are going to pay what I imagine is going to be $100 – on, they're, they're, let's just put it like this. All Mayweather's previous pay-per-view fights, with the exception of Manny Pacquiao, were $60 to $75 in high definition. Pacquiao was 100 There's no way this fight's going to be less than 75 and it's probably going to be 100 How many people are going to stream it online illegally or watch it at a bar opposed to 
sitting down and ordering it like they would for Delahoya Mayweather or Pacquiao Mayweather. I just don't see it doing four million something plus. Well, but did you see Pacquiao and Mayweather doing four million? Did you see that when that happened? Yeah, we thought I, I believe on the show we thought for sure it was gonna do three and we didn't a hundred percent think it would get into the four, but a little bit more. I mean, remember that Mayweather did two point two point six million with Del Hoya. So, you know, he had and he did two point one with Canelo. So he's had those big numbers. I just don't I think I'm gonna say it now, over under for this fight, I would put it three million. Two point five to three million buys. And let me ask you one more question, if you remember, and I, we could look it up to be sure, but was there a UFC event the night of Pacquiao Mayweather? Yes, there was. And it did, I believe it didn't even break a million. So, but that, that, that's a group that, you know, the UFC will not put on a, an opposing fight night. Okay, so that night. I, I, see, so, where, so you're I gonna, see where you're going with this. Yeah. I, I just think, I just believe that there's going to be a lot more um, I mean, like I said, it's it, it's going to do great numbers, of course. Yeah. Uh, will it do the four million? That's a that's a pretty high shot. I believe it's got a legitimate shot. I think once you guys start getting into the particulars, once everything is official as far as the ticket sales mm-hmm. going on, uh, when they start promoting this fight, when we talk about this and preview the fight the week before. It's going to – I'll be uh, – you know, of course, by then we'll have a better idea. But yeah. thinking ahead, looking at all the variables, I, I think we could legit see uh, 3.5 to $4 million, uh, and before it's over with. And, and you never know either. If it's a spectacle, if something happens, something goes down, I'm not sure how the replay numbers uh, go into that. But – yeah, I, and, and I can also see – you also – I mean, make, like we said before, make no mistake, you're, you have the two biggest names in combat sports fighting each other. Relative, I mean, I wouldn't say Mayweather's in his prime, but he's so much better than anyone else on the planet that it, it's – you know, you could just say he's in his prime even, a pro, even at 40. But um, Conor McGregor's in his prime. So this is a – I could see where the where the guy at the bar who likes MMA and has never really got into boxing thinks that the MMA guy is going to win, and so he'll pay for it or go and see it. Um, I have a T-shirt that I was going to put up on the Instagram, and it says, uh, "It says if boxing was easy, it'd be called MMA." <laughs> I figured. But but that's going to be the age-old debate. It, it's kind of like what we saw before. Remember, we always had that debate growing up, and you know we even saw it unfold in the octagon with Anderson Silva and Dan Henderson, the striker against the wrestler. Like most people in a street fight would say that they'd rather be the guy on the ground or know what to do because fights go to the ground, and the strikers will say all fights start standing, and that's where you can end it. Um, we're actually going to get to see – someone who knows how to fight in many different areas. Make no mistake, in a street fight, Conor McGregor would beat Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. I, I'm not delusional about that. But this is a prize fight in the squared circle, and uh, 
there's nobody better in the last 25 years, and you could make a case that there's no one better ever than Floyd Mayweather Jr. So um, we've talked about this now for about 25. We always were joking around and how we would avoid the topic, and it would always come up at the end of the show, is this fight going to happen? Because we've been, this has been being thrown around now for about, for almost a year, I would say a good eight months. And now it's official. We'll know more details for the next show, and then we won't have to speculate. And, uh, but in the meantime, there's a lot of other stuff. We have a real fight that's taking place Saturday. Oh, boy. (laughs) And uh, it's the 2016 fight of the year, a rematch of that. Andre Ward against Sergey Kovalov for the light heavyweight championship of the world. One of the best fights that, of the last five years, one of the most debated. We're going to get into that. But first, uh, we have the June MMA rankings fresh off the press for the Ultimate Fight Show. Bragg, I'll start it off with uh, our hometown guy, my hometown guy, Stipe Meosik, heavyweight champion of the world, 17-2, and two, making, made a second defense. We'll, we, we are awaiting to see who his third defense will be. Wouldn't be surprised if Mark Hunt's name's thrown into the mix now after that win over, uh, over Brunson. Uh, I mean, over Lewis. I'm sorry. We got Fabricio Verdum at number two, Kane Velasquez at three, Alistair Overeem at four, Junior Dos Santos, who just lost to the champ at five, Rothwell at six. Mark Hunt jumps up to number seven, replacing Lewis, who subsequently retired in the ring and is getting married. We wish him the best. I don't think it's going to be a firm retirement, but we'll see. Francis Naganu's at eight. Josh Barnett, it seems like he's been there for 20 years. He's at nine. And Vitaly Minikoff, the Russian, undefeated, number 10. Bragg, you want to take us through the light heavyweights? Yeah, sure will. The champion, of course, is D.C., Daniel Cormier. He'll be defeated against John Jones, who unfortunately lost his mother today. So uh, thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family. Uh, she lost her battle with a long illness. Um Tough time to be John Jones as he's preparing for his rematch with Daniel Cormier, but he sits at number two in our rankings. Number three is Alexander Gustafson. Number four is Jimmy Manawa, who really has been on a roll and is the guy to look at, look forward to in the next couple of years. Uh, Ryan Bader, another guy who seems like he's been on here forever. Number five, Phil Davis and Bellator. Number six, Liam McGrary. Uh, number seven, Glover Teixeira. Big win a couple of weeks ago. Number eight, uh, Alexander Gustafson a couple weeks ago. Uh, number nine is Vulcan Alzheimer. And yeah, number he's 10, new. Yeah, he's making his debut at number nine. And number 10, Mauricio Shogun Huwa. All right. We got the middleweights. We got the champion, Michael Bisbing, who's on the shelf. But, um, you know, he's going to be back. His timetable is, I believe, October, November. But he said uh, the other day that he's got two fights left. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. He did say, Bragg, that he has no interest in fighting the number two ranked man, Luke Rockhold, the guy he took the belt from. He said he does not have an interest in fighting him again. I think we're going to end up seeing a Gegard Musasi or a Yoel Romero, and those are the guys at three and four. They're going to be names in the mix soon. We got Robert Whitaker at five, who beat Sosa at six. Former champion Weidman at seven. Anderson the Spider at Silva at eight. 
Derek Brunson coming off of a big knockout win at nine, and David Branch at number ten. Bragg, the welterweights. Yeah, the welterweight picture is a little more clear. We got Tyrone Woodley as the number one welterweight in the world. Number two, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Number three is Robbie Lawler. Number four, another guy who seems to be evolving and getting better with every fight, Damian Maya. Will he finally break through and get a title shot? Uh, number five has been Askren. Number six, Roy McDonald. Number seven, Neil Magny. Uh, number eight is Lorenz Larkin. Number nine is Jorge Masvidal. And number 10 is Douglas Lima. To the lightweight, sir. All right. We got the champion, the guy we were just talking about, Conor McGregor, 21-3. and three. And again, just real quick, the only – I don't want to give the illusion that, like, we're anti – Conor McGregor here. This is a dude who I would literally pick in an MMA match against almost anybody that he's going to fight. But and, and by that by that same standard, the only reason he's getting this fight is because he is a two-time UFC world champion and boxing is part of the UFC training regiment. So the Nevada Athletic Commission felt safe enough that this is a world champion who can conduct himself in the ring regardless of the fact that he's never boxed a professional fight. So this is a very special circumstance and should in no way be indicative of boxers and MMA fighters transitioning into each other's sports. I just want to make that clear because that's how people get hurt. And, uh, you know, stick to a sport, stay in your lane, you know, as LeVar Bell, uh, Ball would say. But uh, Conor McGregor, 21-3, and three, light heavyweight cha- I mean, lightweight champion of the world, Kebab Nurmagomedov at 23 and 0 at number two. Tony Ferguson at 21 and three, a guy who's been real active in calling out Nate Diaz and Kebab. We got Eddie Alvarez at four, Edison Barbosa at five, Rafael Dos Anjos at six, Nate Diaz who split with Connor in two fights at seven, Chandler at eight, Benson Henderson at nine, and Michael Kisa at ten. Bragg. Let's talk about the featherweights and new. Yeah, how impressive is Max Holloway? He's just been coming on and coming on and coming on for the last year or so now. Finally got his shot at a title against the arguably the best featherweight of all time and took care of business like nobody's business. Max Holloway, the new undisputed featherweight champion of the world, defeated Jose Aldo, who still sits at number two in our rankings. Uh, number three, uh, Frankie Edgar still hanging around. Number four is Cub Swanson looking to get a title shot. Number five, uh, Patricio Pitbull Friere, Bellator champion at number five. Number six is Chad Mendez. Number seven, Ricardo Lamas. Number eight, Yair Rodriguez. Number nine, Chan Sung Jung. And number 10 is Daniel Strauss. Uh, Before we move on to those bantamweights, uh, what do you think of Max Holloway finally reaching that prize? Um, you know, I had money on him, even though he was a favorite in the fight. Uh, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to win to a lot of people. I had a couple buddies from Vegas call me and ask me who I liked, and I told them I was all in on Max Holloway. And, you know, I cited our selling record. I mean, we have only lost one main event since the beginning of the year, and it's just, you know, I felt really confident with Max Holloway. And, in fact, I believe we won all four fights on the main card. We had Belfort. We had Holloway. We had um, 
uh, Gedalia, and we had that uh, Barnick Burner, whatever his name was. But, I mean, the fact remains that Max Holloway is a dude who, who took Conor McGregor the distance before Conor McGregor was Conor McGregor. And this guy's long, he's rangy, he's young, he's athletic. And I'll tell you right now, if Conor McGregor and, and him fight in a rematch, that's not that's not a one that's not an easy win for Conor. He's gonna he's, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to pack a lunch because he's gonna be there all day. That may be the best MMA fight that could be made for Conor McGregor right now at this very moment. Is Max Holloway? Yeah, I would say the biggest is. The best is probably Max Holloway. The biggest is probably a rematch against Nate Diaz, who I think would probably have to win a fight against someone above him to get that title shot. Or a, a fight with GSP and Wood and uh, and or Woodley would be huge as well. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, and of course, we're talking super fights there. But as far as realistically within the divisions. Um, I agree with you. It, it may not be the biggest fight against Max Holloway, but it definitely would be probably the best fight. Um, I really, I, I, either he or uh, Khabib. I, I think Khabib and Conor should be the fight that Conor McGregor comes back to MMA for. I think that is the fight that needs to be made. I think that's a real tough... I, I'll tell you right now, I think part of the reason that Conor McGregor wants wanted this fight with Mayweather is because he knows how much money he's going to make. I mean, he's going to make, he's going to be wealthy after this. He's, he's rich now. He's going to never have to fight again. No, that, and that's what I mean. And I, and I'm going to be honest with you. And I, like I said, I would take, I would take Conor McGregor against almost anybody in the octagon. But I think that fight with Khabib is a bad style fight for him. Dangerous. He showed, He's shown that he cannot fight on the ground, and Khabib is probably the best submission fighter in that division and probably in the top five in all of MMA. And, but I will say on the other end of the equation that I think Khabib is, is susceptible to Connor's left hand coming in. And that's the only reason why I would still slightly, if I had to pick with those two, I would go 51-49 Connor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's the champ for a reason, and he would should be favored in that fight. Uh, but a, a lot's got to happen before that fight happens. And of course, you know, there's that Floyd Mayweather fight we've talked about a couple times. And then, you know, then, then McGregor's going to have to get back into MMA shape. And so, chances are we won't see McGregor back in the octagon at the very earliest would be say December. But I don't think it'll be until probably uh, spring. It all depends on what happens with the May with the Mayweather fight. If Mayweather knocks Conor McGregor out, um, I believe in a knockout with the Nevada State Athletic Commission in boxing, it's a three month waiting period before you can start sparring again. So he could be training during that time, but just not sparring, which would make so maybe he would need a month of that. So. I mean, yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I don't think we see Conor McGregor till maybe March in the octagon, if at all. Mm-hmm. There, there's the other variable too, because he he like we said, he won't need to fight again. He'll be rich beyond his wildest no. dreams. He can go spend time with his family. He can go act. 
Um, yeah. Like you said, he and wants I believe to do... he only has one more fight on his contract with the UFC. So this is a guy who literally, like, if, if he makes a, let's just say that they do the numbers I think they're going to do. He's going to make eighty to a hundred million. If he does the numbers that Dana White and them think he's going to do, this dude's going to make $150 million. It would take him going in the octagon 10 times to maybe make that. Maybe. Uh, there, there, there's just no – this is retirement money. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. All right, bantamweights. We got Cody Garbrandt, who I believe now – now, he's injured, Correct. Yeah, there was, and I have not seen an update on that recently, but yeah, there was some talk that that fight could be delayed. Um, I don't think it was ever official. Have you heard anything else about that? I, I just heard, I've heard mixed things, and they're kind of not showing it on, you know, we have the Ultimate Fighters on tonight, but I haven't, you know, that's all taped in advance. From what I understand, I thought that their fight was off because Cody got hurt, something with his back, and that's why... You know, TJ's been on Twitter kind of mocking him and making fun of him. And then I heard that there might even be talk of a Demetrius Johnson against TJ Dillashaw fight. Oh, that, so, that, would, be, that would be very good. Um, I, I heard that too. Um, now, it looks like I said, I'm just kind of checking out some of the latest uh, latest breaking news on that fight. Well, it, it, in the meantime, we have TJ Dillashaw at two, Dominic Cruz at three, Rafael Anuncio at four, John Lineker at five, Johnny Dotson at six, Jimmy Rivera, who I like. Guy hasn't really been active since that fight in Cleveland. Um, Marlon Moros at eight, Brian Caraway at nine, and Billy Bono Fernandez at ten. Bragg, uh, the lightweights, I mean the flyweights. Flyweights, yes, sir. We got Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson, uh, the best pound, pound fighter in the world at number one. Uh, Joseph Benavidez sitting at number two. Number three is Henry Kehudo, number four, Kyoji Hiroguchi. Number five is Ray Borg. Number six is Josier de Silva. Seven is Wilson Reyes. Number eight, Ian McCall. Number nine is Sergio Pettis. And number 10 is Brandon Moreno. Yeah, and I mean, Demetrius Johnson, you'll see it on the website when you look at our rankings, but I mean, he's defended his title 10 times. This is a dude who was literally cleaned out the whole division, except for Kyoji Horiguchi, who sits at number four from Japan, 18-2. and two. And I believe that that will be Johnson's next fight, which will break the record for most defenses ever in the tie that he has right now with Anderson Silva. So I don't um, – I think that's Demetrius Johnson's last fight. I think the UFC for a while has wanted Joseph Benvedias to be a champion. And this is a dude who literally – should have been a cha- like he jo- Demetrius Johnson and you got and and then you have Dominic Cruz sandwiched in between you. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. It, 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 it's well, unfortunate, the, but that's how it is. You know, the division was designed around Joseph Benavidez. Of course, Demetrius Johnson was fighting at bantamweight at that point. Uh, who knew that he would drop down to flyweight and become you know the greatest flyweight of all time? Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's crazy how things work out sometimes. Absolutely. All right. Uh, women's bantamweight. We got the champion, Amanda Nunes. We got uh, Shelvashenko, the girl he's, she's fighting in a rematch at number two. Juliana Pena at three. The 
featherweight champion, Jermaine Duran, to me, who now says she doesn't want to fight because Cyborg is there and she's worried that this girl's unclean. You're, you're scared. You're, you're, uh, I'd say something, but it would be more appropriate if it was said to a man because they actually have the anatomy. But you can infer <laughs> from, you can decipher what I'm saying. That hurts on her right now. Um, Rick, uh, Rachel Pennington at five, Sarah McMahon six, Katz and Gano seven, who we're going to try to get on the show. Her and I have had some uh, little Twitter stuff going back and forth. Tanya <laughs> Evans at eight, Holly Holm at nine, and Rhonda hanging on by her teeth at number 10 there, which most people have her ranked at five or six, but I don't. she's never going to fight again, and she's never going to win again, so she's lucky she's at number 10 on our list. Bragg, you want to take go through the uh, straw weights? Yes, of course. The number one female fighter in the world is Joanna Jacek, uh, fourteen and zero. She is the UFC champion. She's defended her title five times now. I believe I'm reading that correctly. That's yeah. uh, she's yeah, on the roll. Claudia Gade- Claudia Gadelia, uh, number two. Number three is Jessica Andrade. Number four, Carolina Kowalczyk. Number five is Rose Nemaginis. Uh, I've got everybody, everybody else. Yeah, that that's it. Uh, number <laughs> six is Tisha Torres. You know, I've I've gotten finally gotten Joanna's name down, and everybody else's, and now Rose is giving me a hit. Uh, number six is Tisha Torres. Number seven, Carla Esperosa. Uh, number eight, Karate Hottie, Michelle Watterson. Number nine is Jessica Aguilar. Number ten is Joanna Calderwood. All right, pound for pound list. Bragg, you want to you want to take us ten through five, ten through six. I will. Of course, we talked about Max Holloway at length earlier. He sits at number 10 on the pound for pound list. Uh, number nine is Khabib Mamadagoff. Number eight, TJ Dillashaw. Number seven, Cody Garbrandt. And number six, the former heavyweight champion, Mr. Kane Velasquez. And number five, we have Tyrone Woodley. Number four, the heavyweight champion of the world, Stipe Miocic. Number three, Daniel Cormier, D.C. Number two, Conor McGregor. And number one, Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse. All right, if you want to see that list complete and peruse through it and take your time, you can find it on our social media pages. Bragg, we're fine. It's been a while, but we're fine. We're finally ready to talk a little sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. segment here at the ultimate fight show and boy do we have a treat for you not only do we have one of the certainly my generation's greatest voices on boxing hall of fame analyst showtime analyst al bernstein my interview with him it's about 24 minutes long so you're going to be able to settle in get your popcorn grab a drink whatever you do when you listen to this show and talk boxing but it's a great interview. And then when we're done with that interview, we will talk about what we talked about with what I talked about with Al, but also preview the the huge boxing summit that's going down in Vegas this weekend, the rematch between Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalov for the light heavyweight championship of the world, a fight that was a 114-113 unanimous decision victory 
for Andre Ward and ended Sergey Kovalov's eight defenses and his undefeated record, controversially, some think. We'll hear what Al had to say and be back in 25 minutes. Here you go. All right, fight fans, it's time to talk a little sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. And with me once again is Hall of Fame boxing analyst and Showtime superstar Al Bernstein. How you doing, Al? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm, you've been busier than, uh, than me, I can tell you that, with uh, traveling to all these great fights. I want to get your opinion on a couple of the fights that you just recently covered. And then, of course, we'll uh, get to this weekend's mega showdown in the desert. Al, when you were in London for Errol Spence and Kell Brook two weeks ago, how big of a fight was that to dictate the future of the 147 pound division? Well, I think it was pretty big. You know, the, 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 the other one that we did earlier um, in this year, uh, which we did on CBS, Danny Garcia and Keith Thurman was probably one of the other ones uh you know, along with Manny Pacquiao out there, those are the major players in the 147-pound division, and um, uh, and and this fight uh, was kind of the other side of that. Thurman, of course, beat Garcia, and then we were waiting to see who would win between Spence and Brook. Uh, Brook, a champion, uh, and Errol Spence. Um, everyone believed uh, certainly a, a potential champion, and uh, and the fight was kind of what a lot of people expected is it was very competitive. Um, and the big question was going to be whether Errol Spence could, could get into later rounds and against a world champion and a, uh, uh, you know, a, a world-class fighter and was able to get the job done. And he certainly did that. The first six or seven rounds of that fight were very, very tight and close and well contested. And Spence took a lot of, took some big punches but was able to hang in there. So it 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 set up Errol Spence now as one of the top two or three welterweights in the world for sure. Is Kell Brook's orbital bone issue from the Triple G fight and now it looks like it was the other side in the Spence fight, is this going to affect his career substantially moving forward or is it something well, that time off is going to be able to heal? Yeah, I don't know. It's two two injuries of a serious nature um, in two straight fights, and uh, and I think it's certainly something he's that will be difficult for them uh, to deal with. And I'm sure he'll take some time off and he'll get it healed. And he got an operation done on it. And uh, I I just think he's going to have to decide whether you know how he wants to move forward. Uh, with things um, He's a very good fighter Certainly many welterweights in this world he can beat um, uh, And uh, But but those kind of injuries Are difficult to continue with Especially when you're getting Punched in the face on a regular basis Well exactly yeah I mean you know The, the, the idea of exacerbating those injuries And ironically You know this was not the eye that the, the orbital bone where he was hurt in, in, Golov, in the Golovkin fight. So, um, you know, that's a that's a pretty big issue for him. Now, boxing's been able to kind of take a page from MMA and put, has recently been putting together the best fighters fighting the best fighters. How likely or how soon are we going to see Errol Spence and Keith Thurman mix it up? 
Well, they they kind of want to, you know. Uh, uh, Thurman's hurt. He's got an injury. So I'm not sure he's going to be ready for another six months or so. And Errol Spence would like to fight again. So in the in the meantime, so I think we might see Spence against somebody like Lamont Peterson, which would be a very good fight. Um, uh, or there are some other names being bandied about. Uh, but as you point out, this has been a great year for matchups. So fighters and managers and promoters are—it's are, the norm that they would be making fights that people want to see, and that is certainly one that they do want to see. And Spence seems interested in making it. So does Thurman. And uh, I, I would expect to see that fight toward the end of the uh, during the sometime in the first quarter of next year. I, I think is when we, we're likely to see that fight. Now, a fight that was made recently and I believe is going to air on your program is the uh, Adrian Broner and Mikey Garcia fight. Can you tell us a little bit about that fight? And, you know, is it just me? Because I think Mikey Garcia is going to wipe the floor with him. Well, Mike Garcia is a very, very uh, talented fighter. And, uh, but he's going up an extra weight class now to 140. Uh, to take on Broner, and he's already he's already gone up uh, weight classes, uh, and that's the, the part that's intriguing about this. Um, if they were normally, I think if if they were at the same weight class, and that was where they were both fighting, and you you objectively looked at the two fighters, certainly Garcia would have the edge, but he's moving up in weight, and that's something that uh, kind of adds intrigue to this fight. Uh, the onus is on Broner, certainly. Uh, number one, it's on him to make 140 pounds, and there'll be penalties, I'm sure, put into the contract for that if he doesn't. Um, so he needs to make the weight, number one, and number two needs to be ready because Garcia is a very, very talented fighter. Big question is going to be, you know, does Garcia's as Garcia keeps going up, does his power keep translating? It certainly does at 135. Um, and you would imagine it would at 140. So uh, I think Garcia will probably go in the favorite in this fight. But it's going to be a it's a terrific matchup, and uh, and I think could be a very intriguing fight. And, and let's not forget Adrian Broner, who's from not necessarily my backyard. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, but he's in Cincinnati. He was a 135 pound fighter who moved all the way up yes. to 47, didn't right, do too was, well, and now is kind right. of settled in yeah. at 140. Right, I, and I think 147 is way too big for him. I actually think had he mm-hmm. stayed at 135 or tried to, it would have been he'd have had a, he would have had a very good run in the lightweight division. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I don't think the weight issue is monstrous for Garcia, um, but you know, uh, but it's the one thing that that makes kind of an interesting uh, part of this. Now you know they're the same height, and when you're when Broner's facing a fighter that's his height or taller or, you know, around the same, he has a big problem because he gets hit with overhand rights regularly. And uh, and, and you would expect that punch, just like Sean Porter landing it, uh, you'd expect that, mm-hmm. and Madonna landing it. Mikey Garcia has a terrific right hand and can throw it uh, as kind of an overhand right. So that's going to be a big punch for him. Yeah, and I've always been a big fan of Mikey Garcia, and we were kind of robbed because of his promotional issues and some of the stuff that he had going on. But uh, do you think if Mikey Garcia wins this fight, do you think the logical step is for him to try to challenge Terrence Crawford or to move back down and maybe have a showdown with Vasily Lomachenko? 
Well, Lomachenko's still a weight class below 135, although he would get up there. Uh, I think, actually, the likely fight is him fighting Jorge Linares at 135, which is a very good fight, who also has one of the championships. Uh, That one is more likely to happen first uh, if he beats Garcia. I think he would move back to 135, try and have that fight. He certainly would entertain. He and Lomachenko would be, I think, one of boxing's premier events, uh, and Lomachenko would have to move up to 135, where he will ultimately probably end up. Uh, so I think that would be a, a very intriguing matchup. That, and, of course, as you pointed out, there's always Crawford lurking out there. Now, that, though, in that, that case, the, the promotional companies would have to get together, Aram and uh, the PBC, but, but they're showing some willingness to do that these days, so I don't think it's impossible. All right, transitioning to last weekend's fight, Adonis Stevenson, Fonfara 2. I think we thought that Stevenson was going to win, but not in the fashion that he did. How scary is Superman right now, even at the advanced age of 38? Yeah, he's a very, look, he's a very powerful puncher, and uh, Fonfara underperformed in that fight. Uh, I think we had seen signs that that might happen, though I did think he was going to be more competitive. Uh, he had struggled against Chad Dawson in his fight before that, and Dawson is kind of faded, but he won the fight by knockout. Um, you know, Stevenson's issue is that his level of competition has not been really where it should be. And uh, even we saw um, uh, a later Alvarez fight very well in the fight before that uh, and win and to be his mandatory challenger. And Stevenson was actually... At, uh, talking like maybe he wasn't even going to fight the mandatory challenger. So, um, you know, I think it's incumbent upon Adonis Stevenson to step up his level of opposition. It really is. And he's a good fighter. He's got power. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we need to see him in against people that are worthy of the challenge. We talked about it once before. The last time you were on was right before Ward Kovalov won We talked about how that was going to be the biggest fight of the year. I was adamantly in Andre Ward's corner. You, because of what you do, I I understood not picking a side. Um, It was a super close fight, Al. I've watched it five times. I scored it 114-113 for Andre Ward every single time. Was that the right score, and what can we expect different from both fighters in the rematch? Well, I think it was a very close fight. I probably would have made it the one point the other way, but uh, but it was very close, and it certainly uh, was a fight that, you know, Andre Ward came back very well in the latter portion of that fight and the second part of it. Uh, and traditionally, when that happens in rematch, and there's a rematch, the fighter who has done well in the latter portion of uh the first fight is usually the one that is able to get the job done. Now that may or may not be the case here. I picked Ward to, I actually thought Ward would, I may not have made the pick on your show, but I, I thought Ward would win. I, I might, I leaned toward going into that fight, uh, but I thought it was, but then ironically, I, I kind of thought Kovalev eked out the win when it happened, but either way, it's, it's going to be very close. Kovalev faded in that fight, and there's no question about that. And he he addressed yeah. it kind of head on, and 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 said he's got to make sure that conditioning wise he's ready, and presumably he is. Uh, there were a couple things about that fight that were interesting. Kovalev was able to land the jab uh, 
all through the fight, especially in the first part of it, and out-jabbed Ward, I thought, in that fight. And that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but then Andre Ward, who is a very – who is one of the things about Andre Ward that is amazing to me is he has three or four different kinds of styles that he can go to. You know, he can be a pure mm-hmm. boxer puncher. Uh, he can be a rough fighter on the inside. Uh, he can be a counter puncher. He's got so many different uh, things in his tool uh, kit, and he he used his his inside work and his body body punching. That was part of the reason why Kovalev faded in that fight. And uh, so Andre Ward has many ways to beat you, and we'll see this time whether he decides to box war or if he. In fact, can get inside that jab of Kovalev. And one of the things that made that uh, a sound strategy once he got to doing it was early in the fight we saw him on the end of the punches of Kovalev and he was knocked mm-hmm. down once. And you know you don't want to be there with Kovalev because he's a powerful puncher. So we'll see if if he continues that strategy of getting inside the jab and getting inside where he can fight a fight there. Now, Al. Again, you you having firsthand knowledge, I saw in that fight, I thought, just like you said, that Kovalov kept him at the end of his jab, was able to punch him, definitely faded from the fifth round on because of the body work and the different stuff that Ward was doing. I kind of equate this rematch to Floyd Mayweather with Maidana. Like, Ward's so good, he already took the Kovalov test. He knows all the answers. I just don't see Kovalov being able to do much better than he did the first time, except for maybe his cardio is a little better. What, what are your well, thoughts on uh, that? I think, I think I Andre think Ward wins a wide UD on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that may be true, and the Maidana uh, analogy may be an accurate one, but here's the, the thing with Kovalov. He, I think a lot of that had to do with him literally not punching as much and doing just completely slowing down it wasn't all strategic um and so as a result of that i mean we're going to have to see of course but i don't i don't see i don't see i don't see it as if ward has totally and completely figured him out a hundred percent and there's nothing kovalev can do i think kovalev can still land his jab i think he can still land his right hand uh he didn't throw it enough in the second part of the fight now Andre Ward, as I said, is so chameleon-like that he can change and adapt, and and maybe he has figured him out 100%, and that might be the the case. But I wouldn't rush to judgment on that with Kovalev because I I think he's a pretty good fighter. Oh, I think Kovalev's my – I would say he's the second-best light heavyweight in the world. I just think that Andre Ward is one of those special – like Mayweather, like Pacquiao, f- cerebral fighters that has an A, B, C, D plan. And here's my question to you, Al. Had the roles been reversed in that first fight, I don't think Kovalov could have overcome what Ward did. How instrumental was Virgil was Virgil Hunter in willing Andre Ward and keeping him focused in that fight? Because I thought that was one of the best job since Angelo Dundee in a fight. Uh, yeah, well, he and Virgil Hunter, you know, they've been together so long and they've worked together and they, they understand, uh, you know, they know, uh, you know, they know each other very well. Uh, I think that the, the idea of him, he was getting inside, working the body, 
keeping it, you know, not allowing using his 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 hands to, on the inside, uh, even when he was partially being held by Kovalev. That was all good stuff. Um, and I and I think Virgil's a very you know very good trainer, he's especially a good trainer with with Andre Ward. You know, he's had some some uh, mishaps with other fighters recently, but. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think he and Andre are very are very tuned to each other, and and I think collectively they kind of worked out uh, as they as as Andre Ward often does. As I pointed out he's he can be a chameleon and figure out what you know what to do, uh, you know, in that fight. Is the winner should the winner fight Adonis Stevenson to for the lineal so we can have a lineal light heavyweight champion and not this debate. Sure, yeah. I mean, we'd all love to see that fight. I think that's a – but, again, and I think the burden of that is on Stevenson to a great extent. Um, although the, they're probably – I can't say that, that – well, we don't, Ward hasn't actually been through negotiations with him. Kovalev was, so um, – and it's always tricky to pin it on one fighter as opposed to the other because <laughs> – and or one camp as opposed to the other. But I think um, – Boxing fans would certainly love to see that, and as you point out, we're we're in an era where matches are more likely to get made than not get made, and so that you know you would hope that that would be, um, you know that that would be happen here. And the guy out left out in the cold is poor Joe Smith, who uh, keeps winning and knocked out yeah. far and has you know he's he's one of those guys out there. I'd like to see Joe Smith get in against somebody as well. Absolutely, real quick, Al. Prediction for Saturday night, if you got one, who 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 gets their hand raised at the end of the night? Uh, I, you know what? I probably would lean a little bit, maybe a little bit to Andre Ward as I did in the first fight because of, um, but maybe a little. But again, it's a very for me, it's a very, um, and it was even in the first one. It's a very tentative lean. So we'll see. August twenty sixth has been asked by the Mayweather promotion for a prospective fight with Conor McGregor. Likelihood that this happens before that, I mean, around that date, or is it most likely that we'll have to wait till next year for that fight to take place? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't think we'll wait till next year. I think that even the McGregor uh, Mayweather. Yeah. No, I think they yeah. want to get it done this year. I, I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. there's no way that if they get that agreed to, and I think they're fairly close there's no way you wait. They wait till next year. They're, I think. Okay. They're, I think the the idea is they're pushing for that August date, and uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. But if it doesn't happen, then I suspect it will happen. I'm going to guess in October or November. Is Triple G Canelo the best fight that that could have been made for boxing? Yeah, it's a, well, yeah, because it's one that the mainstream media has clamored for, and every time the mainstream media clamors for a fight. If it isn't made, they say that no good fights are being made in boxing, which is oftentimes not true, and it's certainly not true this year when great fights are being made. But because the mainstream sports media doesn't cover the sport that much, they don't—they're not aware of it. So they—they they always act as if the the whole fate of the sport is dependent on those kind of fights. So for that reason and other reasons. Uh, it is an important fight for the sport to make. Plus, it's a very good fight. Is that, from what you've been hearing, is that fight more likely to take place 
at 155 pounds to 157, or will we actually see a full-blown 160? Oh no, I think that, I think that. Well, I think it's already been decided that fight's going to be at 160. Yeah, I know okay. that's a that's a that's a middleweight fight. All right, because yeah, there I. I hadn't heard 100% on that. Yeah, and now, I, I think I think they're pretty certain. Now, I, I think that fight is likely to be a middleweight uh, a middleweight encounter. Al, is it just me, or I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Canelo can win that fight. Well, he's fighting very well, you know, um, and, and, and Golovkin, um, you know, he had a very tough fight with Danny Jacobs, a razor-thin fight. The only thing, though, is Danny Jacobs, and I was just with him at the Boxing Hall of Fame this weekend, um, he was able to, and we had a chat about this, he was able to box and move and show a different skill set. Canelo doesn't have that skill set. He doesn't move. He, he, his, foot, his foot speed is not, is not really any big factor. He has really good hand speed, but he'll be in the pocket with Golovkin, which is part of what makes this a fascinating fight and a great fight. So, Canelo certainly has a chance in this fight because he's been fighting very well. But what the thing that works against him is that he has to be—he will be in the pocket. So the question is, can he hurt Golovkin and can he take Golovkin's punch? Golovkin has a, uh, by all accounts, it seems has a uh, an amazing chin. Now, he's older, he's in his mid-30s, heading to the late 30s, and we've seen some slight erosions in, in him. Uh, but Canelo, though, has to answer those two key questions because he's going to get hit. He's not going to be able to fight the kind of fight that even Jacobs got hit, but he's not going to be able to fight that kind of fight. So they will be in the pocket exchanging with each other. And we're going to know in the first four or five rounds because we'll know if Canelo can touch Golovkin and, and make him feel his power, and if, if if he can take Golovkin's punch. Absolutely. Again, Al Bernstein, Hall of Fame boxing analyst. We always love having you on the show. Now, for those of you who don't know, Al is also an author of 30 Years, 30 Undeniable Truths, and you've been dabbling in the music a little bit. Can you tell us about what you got going on oh, yeah, Friday well, night? Oh, yeah, well, for a lot... Yeah, you know, it, I, years ago, before all the the uh, major fights in the 80s and 90s, I used to um, I would often perform at Caesar's Palace and do uh, uh, do a musical show the weekend of the fights. And I then I started doing a show called the Sports Party and the Boxing Party, which included some music and highlights. Well, now I'm kind of back to doing music again, and uh, we're going to be doing uh, a show the night before the Ward Kovalev fight at the Tuscany Hotel and Casino in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, it's going to be part of actually Kenny Davidson's uh, cabaret show that he does, and I'm going to be uh, co-hosting with him, and I'm going to do about oh about a dozen, thirteen tunes, and um, and we'll have some fun. There'll be a lot of boxing celebrities on hand, um, there, and there's no cover. It's just a, a fun environment there, so people can come out and have some fun and hear some music. And uh, the festivities will get going around nine o'clock. All right, so don't forget to stop by and see Al's show. On Friday, and where is that at again? It's at the Tuscany Hotel and Casino, just off the Strip. Uh, and uh, yeah, and it'll be fun. Come up and say, and say hi. And uh, like I say, there'll be a lot of boxing celebs there, and uh, there's going to be a lot of other talented people performing as well. So we should have some fun and a uh, big fight weekend here in Vegas. And then there's going to be another one, as you point out, with Golovkin. And uh, the sport has uh, just a lot of great fights coming up. Absolutely. Yeah. 
can't wait to have you back on to talk about Glovac, <laughs> Triple G and Canelo and maybe a Mayweather McGregor. That could be a nice little uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. You know, there's people people want it, and it's <laughs> I I think it's likely to happen. And as you you know from from you guys uh, and your uh, you know your your the MMA uh, part of your show, um, you know, the fans from both sports seem seem interested in it. Absolutely, but like I've told people before, there's a big difference with four-ounce gloves when you move up to ten. I don't think Connor's going right. to carry his power well in this fight. That's the, that's the issue, you know. That's there. There. I mean, listen. He goes in clearly as a decided underdog, so it, we'll have to see how that all plays itself out. All right, Al. We'll we'll all talk right. to you next time. Thanks for coming on. Take care. Bye. All right, that was Boxing Hall of Fame analyst Al Bernstein, longtime friend of the show. Bragg, what did you find most interesting about what Al was talking about since I actually was there? You know, well, first of all, is there anybody cooler than Al Bernstein? I mean, just just the just a great guy, uh, uh, just a professional, just an all around. I mean, he's he's a badass. I mean, he's really a Renaissance man. But uh, you know. One thing that uh, hits me, and every time we talk to Al, it's just we as fans are excited about the fight game, and we've been excited about the summer uh, and the the fights coming up the rest of the year. Listening to somebody who's so close to the sport, who lives it and makes his living off of it, he's a fan also. He's just as excited. And, you know, talking about Ward Kovalov from last year – Little, little surprised that he he felt the way he did as far as the decision goes, and you kind of, of course, he doesn't want to commit. He's I believe he's working to fight this weekend, so he doesn't want to commit a, a pick. But you can still kind of see where he's leaning, and not shocking, but still, just the first thing that gets me is just how excited he gets and just how much he loves the sport. Yeah, I mean, I. Again, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Al over a dozen times, and every interview, it feels like I'm talking to my uncle, who, who's, who is 25 years older than me and has been around boxing. And the thing is, is that, you know, I'm talking with a guy who loves, he makes his living doing it, but he also loves talking about it. Whereas, you know, I'm sure you know, and, you know, you and I have been together for six years doing this show, and... I, I think it's pretty safe to say that my, my boxing and MMA acumen is in the top 1%. And it's hard to have conversations with people who even only know a little bit about the sport. And this is a guy who knows as much, if not more, and he knows the inside stuff and he wants to talk about it with me. So I kind of feel like, you know, like that little kid who who has like, you know, this mentor who's kind of showing you stuff only – I get to talk about boxing and MMA, and it's just awesome that he's so open. And, again, I don't know if a lot of the listeners know this, but, like, we don't pay for interviews. We don't, we don't do any of that stuff. So anybody that ever comes on our show, it's just because they like the show and they want to talk boxing and MMA. Yeah, he's been such a, a friend of the show. He's been so generous to us with his time. And, you no, know, you're absolutely right. It, it, he He is a guy who – as much as we know and as much as we are, you know, dive into the sport of uh, boxing and mixed martial arts as well, uh, you know, he, he's deeper. Uh, he's d- dove deeper. He's, 
in it much more. And you're right, it's sort of tough speaking with some of the fair weather casual fans, and then you get somebody who's got such a fight IQ like Al Bernstein does. Um, it, it's really it's like we it's like we're getting taught we're getting taught lessons every time we hear him and talk to him. Yeah, and I mean, again, this interview kind of came up last minute because we had him on before the Ward Kovalov won. Anyone who follows the show knows that I've been advocating for Andre Ward for years. I put my money where my mouth was, and I'll admit, I like I said on the show before, I sweated it out, but uh, we got the W that night, and it was big, and this fight's a little different, Bragg. Um, let's talk about the undercard first, one only real there's only one real fight to talk about and it's the 122 pound junior junior featherweight champion um Guillermo Rigondeau who's taking on Moses Flores now this is a fight where Flores comes in he's one of the you know he's a former champion at 118 pounds and this is a dude who is ranked one or two in the world and is going to pose I think a lot of problems for Rigondeau in this fight Greg, what do you think about this fight going down, and how do you see it? Yeah, this is going to be a real good fight, especially early. And he's I really twenty-five and zero too. Both yeah. of them are undefeated. This this is really the, one of the best, one of the if not the best fight that can be held um, and made at this weight class and in this division. So, really good fight. Uh, Rigadol has been the top fighter for a long time in that division. Uh, it's hard to really pick against him, um, and I'm not going to tonight. But I tell you, it's, it's going to be close. It's going to be a good fight, especially early. I think Rigondeaux's, uh defense and I think his power is going to be the difference. I think he's able to wear Flores down a little bit. I think he, he gets a late stoppage, and I'm talking tenth uh, round. Yeah, it's um for me. For me, it's more about the layoff that Rickendow's had. He's 17 and 11 knockouts. His biggest moment was obviously against Nonique Donaire when he beat him, but he was also dropped in that fight as well. He had a good fight against Joseph Abiku, but really since then, he has not been in the ring since just in a year, essentially. And now he's taken on a guy who's undefeated, who's five inches taller than him and has a two-inch reach advantage and has 25 wins with 17 knockouts so you know that he can can finish people. This is a tricky fight for Rigondeaux. I, uh, it's hard to go against a guy who had an amateur record of 392 and 13 and <laughs> won two gold medals and you know, is considered the second best amateur of all time behind the Sally Lomachenko. But I think the inactivity catches up with him here. I'm going to go the other way. I think Moses Flores wins a split decision, kind of the way that we saw Chocolatito upset a few months ago. Even though, you know, you could have made a case that fight was a draw or could have gone his way. I think this is going to be another really close, controversial decision but I see Flores getting the nod here. Yeah, that, that could easily happen because Flores really is a good fighter. And, you know, you talked about the uh, big amateur record that Rigondeaux has. He's been a, 
uh, a fighter who's he's had a lot of fights, a lot of rounds under his belt. And I think quite the opposite. I think in this case, this layoff, this year off, may do him good. I think this may let him give him a chance to recharge the batteries a little bit. I think he's going to come out with something to prove because, yeah, he's been the top dog in the division. Flores is an up-and-comer. He's not quite ready to let that crown go yet. Um, it could easily go your way, Flores' way. I, I can definitely see that happening, but it, I think we're going to see a refresh and a recharge ring in the Saturday night. Absolutely. And, of course, the Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov rematch we will get to. But, you know, for time restraints, like we said, we didn't know that Al was going to come on the show. And so we normally do a two-hour show, but today we were only going to do 90 minutes. So for time's sake, I want to preview real quick the UFC fight night card, and then we'll we'll wrap it up with the Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov, which is really – the marquee matchup of the weekend in any sport. Absolutely. Um, Greg, real quick, uh, a few fights to cover. We got Takanora Gomi against John Tuck. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, this this should be an interesting fight. Um, I'm going with Gomi here. I think he's still got a little bit left. Um, I think he gets a unanimous decision victory. Yeah, I'm going with Gomi as well, maybe by submission. Uh, still a little bit too good for a 9-4 and four John Tuck. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos against Tarek Safferdine. We always know that Safferdine brings it. I think Dos Anjos needs to get his name back in the mix. I look for him to win by a first-round knockout, something spectacular to get his names in the mouth of everyone. I like Dos Anjos also, but I actually like this to go uh, the distance again. I think he wins a UD. I think it's going to be a pretty dominant, but I don't think he puts away Safferdine. All right. Uh, Dung Young Kim against Colby Covington. Tough fight, but I'm going with Kim by UD. Yeah, the uh, the difference here is going to be the experience, uh, just a wealth of experience there with the Korean Zombie. I think he stops Colby in the second round. All right, co-main event, the Pitbull, Andre Arlowski against Marcin Tibera. Uh, both of these guys like the bang. They're both Russian. Tibera much younger and seems to be the bigger guy, but I think experience here is going to win out. I like Arlowski to grind this one out and get a UD. I love Andre Arlowski, one of my favorite fighters of all time. Uh, I, just, I love it, but his chin is gone. I, I I don't see him in many more fights. Tiberia has got some great power, and I think he touches him and gets the job done by knockout in the first round. Wow. Wow. And yeah, it breaks really my heart hope. to say that. Yeah, and I mean, I'll admit, you know, I, I, I didn't really focus on this fight because of all the other stuff going on. And Tiberia, I've only seen him fight once. I'm kind of just going on name with Arlowski here, hoping he can uh, – you know, surprise me like he did against Travis Brown. And uh, that brings us to the main event. We'll, we'll save buffer for time. But uh, Holly Holm, Beth Correa, Holm, of course, the woman who ended uh, the Ronda Rousey reign and then, all, and then was, had her reign ended by a friend of the show, Misha Tate, who we plan on having on in the next couple months, and then moved up and, and took on Ramadine, and it looked like she was winning that fight, but then she kind of lost it at the end. 
Now she's back down at Bantamweight. What do you think? I mean, she's fighting Coria, who lost to lost to Rousey. She's a tough scrapper, but it's uh, I don't know. I, I still think Holly's got enough to get this done. I think she stops her in the second round. Yeah, I, I think the biggest um, detriment to Holly Holm is going to be Korea's jiu-jitsu. Um, I don't think it's going to be good enough. I think Holly's similar to the Ronda Rousey fight. I, I think Holly's boxing and stand-up is just so much better than Betch's uh, jiu-jitsu and ground game. I like Holly Holm to win this fight. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a stoppage. I think it's going to be – remember, this is scheduled for a five rounds, so I think it's going to be a little later, I think, in the third or fourth round, Holly Holm stops Betch Correa. Yeah, and I don't really like Correa's cardio either. I saw her fight in Cleveland live, and uh, she won the fight against uh, Jessica I, but she was lucky that she was fighting Jessica I. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, let's, uh, let's let's, let's pivot back to Sweet Science here, the main event of the evening, and let's let uh, Michael Buffer take us in. Let's get ready to rumble! Of course, this is a huge weekend. Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov, the 2016 fight of the year, and probably the most controversial decision of the year. If you were a Ward fan like me, you thought he did enough to win, and you were definitely scared in the second round. If you're a Kovalov fan, you know your guy faded, but you thought you still did enough to win the fight. It's why they're doing it again, to make sure it wasn't a fluke. Remember, it was only the third time ever that two undefeated fighters on the pound-for-pound list met in their primes for a championship. And Andre Ward squeaked it out 114-113. to 113. Bragg, we've heard Al's take on it. You and I have talked about this fight before the first one, in the aftermath of the first one. We've seen the 24-7. I'll admit Kovalov looks good. He was humble enough to admit that he started to fade after the fifth round from the body shots. He says that Ward didn't hurt him. I don't necessarily believe that, but I still, again, you can make a case it was a draw. He's definitely going to be hungry this time. What do you think is the biggest the biggest thing that, I, that Sergei Kovalov has to do different to, to change the outcome? Pressure. I think he's going to have to put the pressure on Ward. I think he's going to have to keep the pressure. Like we said, been well documented, uh, he faded. He was winning that fight early. He faded. Ward was able to get his um, uh, to get his rhythm and was able to steal the fight late. And in the second half of the fight, I think that's the biggest thing. Kovalov's got to put pressure on him early. He's got to touch him, perhaps get another knockdown, let him know that he's come to fight again. And he's got to maintain that pace. He's got to set the pace early, and he's got to maintain it uh, the remainder of the fight. You and I have talked about this before. We both love Andre Ward. Uh, We've got him ranked at number one on the pound-for-pound list. He is the best boxer in the world right now. And I do not see this fight going any differently at the end of the night than it did the first uh, time. And I think it's going to be a little, a little bit of a wider decision. I think Andre Ward's going to leave no doubt in anybody's mind. I think he's going to go out. 
Uh, you may see Kovalov get up on him early, but I think Ward dominates the second half of the fight. And I think he wins it uh, by unanimous decision. Can I get a score? The, pre, the the initial score was what one fourteen one thirteen was what we had. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking it's going like one sixteen one twelve. Yeah. All right, here's my take on it, and uh, for all the reasons that Bragg said, you know, Andre Ward's one of our favorite fighters. He's ranked number one by our show. Now that Mayweather's coming back, you know that they're one and and two. You know they're however you want to look at that. This is what I took from the second fight. I mean, from the first fight that I think is going to move into the second fight. And I think Al really touched upon it. Usually in rematches, the fighter that did better in the second half of the fight wins the rematch. After five rounds, I had Sergey Kovalov up four rounds to one. And with the knockdown, he had a four-point lead on my scorecard. Andre Ward won six of the last seven rounds to give him a one-point win. And he needed every round, and Virgil Hunter kept him in the fight. Um, as a matter of fact, I want you to, I want to get a clip of that for our little soundbite where he does the whole, you know, Ali got up, Pat, uh, Robinson got up, Leonard got up, you got up. Like, I think it's really Rocky-esque of Mickey kind of, you know, like, get up, you son of a bitch. Um, I really believe that he will I think had any other corner man Been in Andre Ward's Corner that night Andre Ward loses that fight I think I think Virgil kept him in there Until the cobwebs were cleared And you know we've said it before He's got an A plan, he's got a B plan, a C plan But I think it's personal This time I've You know from the 24-7 From what I've been hearing from our contacts And what I've been reading in the press Sergey Kovalov believes that Andre Ward only won because he's an American fighting in America and it was all American judges. And he might very well have a point, but the fact that he said it and polluted what was otherwise one of the greatest displays of pugilism of the last five years kind of bothered me, and I think it bothered Andre. And, you know, he said it plain and clear at the end of the night, Bragg. He goes, his camp would have thought thought it was close. My camp thought it was close. We got the belts tonight. And I think on Saturday night, Andre Ward is going to be sharper than he ever was. I'm going to go out on a limb brag, and I'll give you a, a chance to comment. I, You heard it here first. Andre Ward stops Sergey Kovalov on Saturday night, stops him in the 10th round by knockout. Saturday night. Wow. That's uh that's pretty bold. Uh could it happen? Absolutely. Will it happen? I, I tell you, we like we've said, and you, you reiterated what what I said earlier. Andre Ward he's coming in with a purpose. Uh he, he's want he wants to prove what other shadow about. He won that fight. He he went again, he's a better fighter than Sergey Kovalov. Yes, Kovalov said that, and as an American and as a fighter like Andre Ward, as proud as he is, yeah, he's probably going to go in there with a little bit of extra motivation, but he's also so smart. He's also a smart fighter, and 
doesn't matter what you're doing with Kovalov. You don't want to get into a slugfest with the guy. He's got power for days. So uh, as as much as Andre Ward may want to stop him and put that exclamation point on there, I think he's just a smarter fighter than that. I think he's not going to let it allow himself to get into that uh, slugfest and get into that uh, war that Kovalov's going to try to drag him into. And I think that's the difference. I, I think I think Andre Ward's going to outbox Sergey Kovalov uh, Saturday night, and that's where he's going to get his decision victory. But but you never know. I mean, that's why they step into the ring and fight the fights. That's why after the bell rings, anything can happen. Uh, it's going to be a good fight regardless. Uh, looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Absolutely. I'll just say this because we got 90 seconds before we're off the but. I think that the first two rounds of this fight are going to be very dangerous for Andre Ward. I think he's going to have to make sure he establishes his power early, but I see this fight going down very much the way that Andre Ward and Chad Dawson went down. I think when aggressive fighters, we've seen it with Mayweather, when aggressive fighters move in, the counterpuncher kicks in, and Andre Ward is one of the best counterpunchers that's ever done. Brag, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Nope. This weekend is coming up. It is Father's Day weekend, so happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Um, hope you enjoy it. Spend time with your family, and look forward to hearing everybody next week. And be- we're gonna we're gonna leave with a tribute to the one year anniversary of Muhammad Ali's death, and leave you with the ten count. Thanks for stopping by on the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night.